welcome everyone to episode 127 of the Light Shed Podcast. Donors abound. Richard Greenfield, Walter Pisick, and Brandon Ross. Happy Thursday, guys. Happy Thursday, Brandon. Another early podcast for travel schedules. Hope we'll be back to regular schedule next week. Yes? We are. Good. Good. Very good. Well, this is... That was abrupt. <laughs> well, the song Still was on. ending. and I, I didn't... I, you know. This is a big weekend for all of us at Lightshed. We're going to the wedding of our partner, Jamie. Our Lightshed Ventures partner, Jamie. Rich is flying in from Parents Weekend for it. That was very nice of you, Rich. Um, yeah, we know why I'm you're skipping, flying in. I'm, I'm yeah. skipping the football game, the, the Parents Weekend football game. But uh, that's because Brian Roberts important. is going to be there, and you want to chase him around. True or false? <laughs> <laughs> I have this image of like a dog, like chasing after, like you know, another. Well, dog. you always just you used to describe yourself as a dog on a bone. <laughs> Well, talking of dogs, Comcast is at a six-year low this week. So. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily bring that up at the wedding, Rich. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think that. I was thinking I that. I, mean, I don't, don't think, think that's going like, to be uplifting to the mood. I had it's it bad like, enough that Rich. Is what, if they, what if Jamie can't pay for the wedding because of that? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Jamie, for our listeners, is our partner on the venture side. And he is the grandson of Ralph Roberts. So imagine this, Rich chasing around Brian during this wedding. Brandon hovering in a corner watching the Mets. Well, that's like this, like literally staring at the screen on his phone. I'm going to bring my iPad. No, (laughs) you're not. not. You are totally not. (laughs) I will say this. I don't know if you remember this at my wedding, though. But a friend of mine did bring an iPad to the wedding and was watching college football. I remember. At table. Do you remember I, that? I noted that person. Yes. <laughs> and we had a conversation, Lauren and I, about him, um, among he's, other he's things. He was my friend from high school. Yes. Yeah. He was an interesting Maybe you person. Make better friends. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't also- my, I didn't have my pick of the litter in high school, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie was is also a vegetarian, so I'm going to look forward to the opportunity of perhaps smuggling in some cheesesteaks, just determining where I'm going to source them from. Wait, is Jim's the whole is wedding vegetarian? Do I not get any no, meat the whole wedding? No, it's not a vegetarian wedding. Come on. Well, maybe. They, are bo- they actually are both vegetarian. Oh, man. Do you think there'll so be cheesesteaks there? I think there will be cheesesteaks at the really? uh, at the after party thing. Oh, that's true. That's, usually, when, that's usually when a good time to down a cheesesteak at an after yeah. party. Yeah. What was that place that we used to go to near Smokes? It was um, Ab- no, not Abner's. The, the Billy Bob's. The Billy Bob's. Yeah. Oh yeah, my friend got the mug there. I think. Do we have this conversation on a past podcast? Because I had a friend <laughs> that was, like, did talked off, you know, talk smack back, and he just ended up having his his uh, jaw wired shut. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to mess around at Billy Bob's. Just put yeah. your order in, get your food. Maybe. And- do you- Walt, should we go up to Penn this weekend? Just for um, Saturday, maybe. Sunday, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Nah. Get a cheesesteak? No. Nah. All right. You Why guys could we- show me all your haunts. There's only one or two. It's not that broad. All right. What do we got on the first slide? Oh, it must be Elon Musk. 
No, it's it actually the, the only thing. I, the only thing <laughs> no. that Brandon's been focused on this week was the home run. No, I, I wasn't um, that focused on Aaron Judge. I wasn't focused on the Mets. Yeah, obviously, but I have been extremely focused on baseball because I don't think there's anything better than October and baseball. Is there? You're clearly in the minority in that view. I don't. But... I, am Am I actually in the minority about that? You know, Angelo Cataldi uh, often talks about now that the the Phillies have made the World Series for the first time. And I believe the playoffs, they made the wild card. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me. Yes. Um, They're making whatever this thing is that's going on in baseball right now for the first time in over a decade. And they're still probably getting better ratings for Eagles games than any of these these last couple of games that the Phillies were trying to making into, into the to get into this playoff situation the, the nfl is in rarefied error though it, as far as sports ratings are concerned and popularity it's always been like that it's like if you look at the top 100 broadcasts national broadcasts in a year like 90 of them are the nfl or something rich can you bring right? up that that tweet yes i agree with you can you bring up that tweet though i don't you think that can't you we at least find common ground which yes. we've had many debates vigorous debates this week Okay. That this tweet by the MLB, remember where you were when Aaron Judge made history, is a bit of an overstatement. I mean, I, I remember where I was. I was in my I understand living that. room. You're a baseball fan. <laughs> and I perhaps remember where I was because I think I was trolling. Actually, I've you, already you forgotten. Were, you were trolling. Yeah, yeah, I was enjoying the trolling of Aaron Judge. I was hoping perhaps that he might choke um, so I could actually dunk on the New York <laughs> Attorney General as well. But I mean, I don't know. It's just I do remember back in the 90s when the current um, and existing home run leader, Barry Bonds, was on his move upwards, his I guess, late 98. I, mean, I can't remember. Invalidated numbers. It was, this they're is, they're this not is invalidated. Deal, they're still though. on the books. Look, and, yeah. and what's you know, what's different about Barry Bonds is that he had to hit, he had to hit these home runs against pitchers that were juiced up. It's a lot harder. <laughs> it's a lot harder to hit home runs when you're going up against pitchers on steroids. Well, in that in that steroid era. I mean, I've never done that myself, but uh, you know, I'll trust you on that. My my the the harder it was coming in, though, right? Doesn't that help it go out harder? So you're saying these pitchers were hurting themselves. I don't know. Juicing. After goals, MA. Oh, you're saying I, I see what you're saying. Like they were pitching faster, so that it makes it oh, easier. They to definitely hit weren't, by the way. But yeah, <laughs> I, is, I know that for a fact. <laughs> this is when people put on one and a half backs on because our it podcast. because no because yeah because it's all about torque with pitching. But <laughs> the bottom line, the bottom line is baseball still an important part of the American fabric. Sixty-one was a hollowed number. It has you know, finally been erased and that's a big deal. Well, it was erased before. It just wasn't erased in the American league. That Right. Okay. Whatever. Yeah, so as I've said to many people, and, so Brandon, this is probably the fifth time you've heard this. Yo. This is like the Buffalo bills winning the AFC. Congrats. <laughs> Talk to me when you get to 73 and you're ready to win the super bowl. Can we move on to Elon now? Yeah, let's do it. We can go ahead. Elon Musk's proposal to proceed with his Twitter bid for 54.20 per share hinges on receiving debt financing and the end of all legal actions related to the deal. That's by Axios. Um, And then, which everyone knows at this, I'm sure at this point. 
And um, well, let's deal with that one first, and then Brandon can address the second one because I think he's got some some questions there. Um, where where are we at, Rich, with Twitter? What's what's the next step? I mean, I would like a full head of hair with no gray, and I'd love like a thirty inch waist, and I'd love to be able to bat like five hundred in the Major League Baseball and play in the NFL. I'd I'd like lots of things, but. I don't think Elon's going to get what he wants here. I mean, he, you know, his sort of proposal seems absurd. What like, does literally he, absurd. What does what does Elon specifically want? He wants Twitter. He wants he, he no, no, wants, he wants okay. to buy Twitter. I think okay. that's what was well, very, he, very clear. Okay, but then he's getting his 30-inch waist because he's buying Twitter and he's going to buy Twitter. So but if what, he wants hold on, but if he wants to buy Twitter, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. Um why is he adding that debt financing or attempting to add the contingency? The contingency. It's called a negotiating point because if the if the if that falls through, he's trying to trick Twitter into signing that so that they don't go to court, <clears throat> and then that's going to fall through. It's it's very obvious what he's attempting to do. You don't have to be Elon Musk to figure it out. Wink, wink. But I Twitter's just going to say fuck you and take him to court, and that's going to be it. Hold on. So let me just understand what I think you're saying. You're saying that what he's hoping for is, is to that, get Twitter at a lower price. Got it. Yeah. That was what yeah. I was going to get. I was going to build up to it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. still. So, so he, and he has to assume that his counterparty is just, what's the polite way of saying this? Not smart. Stupid? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. To be careful. Not yes, smart, bad legal, and getting very poor legal advice. You'd have and, to. And the guy that's that's been effectively a bad actor all along the way. You're just gonna say, "Oh yeah, sure." I'm not gonna notice that extra. We trust you. We there. trust you. <clears throat> yeah, his. I mean, he's clearly realized that the bot issue isn't going to get the price lower, so he's moved on to financing contingency. Right. So I think Twitter's probably smarter than that. What's fascinating to me, Rich, is <clears throat> you know we've generally been on the fifty four twenty bandwagon, um, especially for, Rich. Kudos for, to Rich. Rich, true. Did I thought that, that like slam his hand on the table on it, literally. Correct, and good job on that. But what's fascinating to me is um, just the media world that you know they love to be snarky about big tech and following billionaires and everything, everything else. But if you if you look at it, none of them clearly read the terms of the original and existing deal with Twitter. Like it's just insane. The amount of tweets that we're seeing. Oh, breaking news that like, Oh, they're going to add a contingency and Twitter might not want to add the, why would they like, it's just, this is like, this is not complex stuff here. People. The only way this moves forward is something called a consent judgment, you know, beyond going to court, there's something called a consent judgment where basically they strike a new agreement it would have no outs, no whistleblower, no material advert. Like there's no way out. It's fully financed. There's a closing date. And in a consent judgment, the Delaware Chance Report actually oversees the agreement to make sure it closes. And if you don't or you do anything to screw it up, there is substantial damages. Like, right. I don't think there's any, any other Rich, choice. But the, here's your question. You go to court. Given where the stock is now, which is at it's forty nine dollars. It's at I was going to say forty nine, pretty small ish discount yeah, to fifty four twenty. Would Twitter, in your estimation, be willing 
to do that deal that you just talked about, that ironclad agreement at a lower price than $54.20? I mean, would you do something at, let's just say, 50 to get this done next week? Maybe. But the reality is you're closing before year end at $54 because you're winning in court. And Elon, let's just be clear. Elon does not want to be deposed. Right. So like, be- the reason this is all happening now is Elon does not want more text messages, more emails, and a deposition coming. That's what's happening next week if they don't get this done. Right. So you believe so Twitter's the just clock is ticking. their ground and Elon's gonna fold and it's 5420 and that's it, so that he no one has to go to court. I mean, look, if they said $51 done next Tuesday. Would they have to say yes? It's it's probably debatable, fiduciary responsibility, time value, risk, all of that. But it's going to be a number in the 50s, and it would have to close immediately. Otherwise, you're better off going to court. I would just stick at 54 and just force it. Like they've stood, they've stood firm and they're the board is winning. If you're the board, just stay firm and he's going to cave. He's already caved, let's just say 70, 80% of the way. I mean, he sort of given up on the whole well, bot thing. Like it, it, this, you know, the financing contingency thing is another trick up his sleeve. Trick or, you know, just delay tactic. I Proverbial, mean, but yeah. Look, he still wants to own this brand. And why don't you read the second tweet? Because I think this is sort of what this, this sort of speaks to what he's thinking. Maybe. Or it, could just be a, or it could, it could just be a random tweet that he sends out. I don't think so, <laughs> though. But I do I do believe he wants to own this. He just looks foolish paying $54.20 for this asset. And it's going to cost him more of his Tesla stock to do it than he should have had to give up. I mean, could I interject before you read this tweet, um, Brandon? He, there's many things that Elon has done, particularly recently, that have made him look foolish. I mean, the tweets about what's going on um, between Russia and Ukraine to, to name one of many. Like, so I don't even yeah. know, like if a guy that has, as the tweets have revealed so many people blowing sunshine up his ass, no, ever, he, ever has shame or embarrassment about anything. What Hard we're seeing Jason now, Calcanis was still my favorite. Though. <laughs> he's the greatest inventor of our time, probably. Sure. But his genius may stop there. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just talking about the shame part. Like, I don't even know if he like he cares about, like, there, is there any shame in any of this stuff? All right. So buying Twitter, this is from Elon himself. Buying Twitter is an accelerant to creating X, the everything app. I don't, th- <laughs> the everything is an everything app these days, right? I mean, TikTok wants to be an everything app. Facebook has tried to be an everything app at times. Um. But I think what he's talking about really is um, in news. I think he wants Twitter to be a bigger news platform than just what Twitter is now. And there have been some, you know. So you don't think this is shopping and like payments? You, like you don't think this is far broader, like crypto and all, you know. Crypto. I mean, he's going to turn I mean, Twitter Mr. into Doge a pro- he's, he's going to turn Twitter into a, a protocol, probably. Right. But where is he focused? What is he buying Twitter for? Let's like distill it down to he, he of, wants to even the conversation form. in the world. He wants to even he wants to balance global conversation. Balance. 
I think I think from that's a, from right a left and right perspective. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, look, we haven't heard a lot from him recently. And that conversation is generally around politics, is what you're saying. It is, or sort of the polarizing pieces of those that conversation. Do you so, think? Do you think he wants to add news to it, as has been speculated? Is that a question for me? Yeah. No, it's, I mean, there is news in it. I think. Does he want to make it so that there are more voices and easier to see multiple sides to an issue? Sure. How that's done algorithmically, or maybe not algorithmically, I don't know. But I do believe that a lot of this, and I think you know, we're going to get to in a second, sort of how triggered some people are about what this transaction means for the future of news. But I think this is all about sort of controlling information um, and a feeling like that there's been too much pressing on one side versus another. Yeah, definitely. But what does everything mean? Being the I have everything no idea. App. I don't know. I didn't write the tweet. I don't know. I, I just assumed it meant bringing in you know, some kind of owned and operated news organization. I think of it sort of as one of these Chinese everything, at, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, sort of think about like what you can do with WeChat in China in terms of, like, right. you know, from an Uber to buying thing. I mean, just that sort of behavior is what I think about when you say everything. But I don't know. I just think it's do, a random Twitter or excuse me. Yeah. Tweet by Elon. It could mean nothing. Yeah, like, it nothing. Right. Maybe we shouldn't be analyzing crazy. It's just, just Elon being Elon. Okay. But speaking of balance, <clears throat> balance is in the eye of the beholder, Brandon, as we see here from Ben Collins, who I believe is from NBC, um, which is part of Comcast. For those of you asking, <laughs> yes, I do think this site can and will change pretty dramatically if Musk gets full control over it. No, there is no immediate replacement. If it gets done early enough, based on the people he's aligned with, yes, it could actually affect midterms. And then he goes well, on. What does that mean, the people he's aligned with? Exactly. What it what does this mean? Does this mean this is basically presupposing that Elon is aligned with the right? Uh yes. And I think there are some tweets that would suggest that, but like I don't know, Elon says a lot of different things. So the second we're tweet, not even sure what to believe that he writes. Just the hysteria start. continues in the second tweet where where Ben says if Musk is really taking this site private, there are no real guardrails anymore. I don't know. What are the guardrails? As a, Whatever. Rulemaking can be capricious. He can elevate any idea or person he wants through recommendations and UX choices, user interface choices, and there will be no oversight on this as a private company. I mean, so the basically Facebook's been accused of the same thing. Everyone's worried, as you just said, Rich, about TikTok being <laughs> under the control of the Chinese government <clears throat> and doing the same thing. OK, whoever's hands it in, it's in. You're going to have. <laughs> you're gonna have guys 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 isn't this what rupert murdoch's power. been accused about with the wall street journal and new york yeah. post for for decades and the sun and the australian yes. and like yes. anybody yes. who owns any form of news outlet anywhere in the world has always been accused of tipping the scales the new so york just... times too liberal whatever you know what i mean like this is not a new concept so just like when when one of my favorite tweets to retweet is maria bartiromo leaving <laughs> twitter or at least i'm sorry let me rephrase that claiming she was going to leave twitter when president trump was kicked off and then she'd never left today you're going to have people that are claiming they're going to quit twitter 
if Elon comes back and President Trump comes back and the only one, you know, who's going to be quitting Twitter, Walt? Who's that? The bots. Well, one way that, you know, whether it's a private or a public company, you can address these issues is Section 230. and, And there was some news earlier in the week where there are two suits, one actually involving Twitter. Um, in the state of Texas, um, where the Supreme Court's going to hear some of the arguments about Section 230. And, and Section 230, for our listeners, if you don't remember, is is it goes back to the, um, I think it's the Communications Act of 1996. And basically it was the outdated Teleco. Yeah, here we go. Telco, Telco Corner. All right, everyone, go prop on. Up their, prop up their pillows. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, yeah, exactly. No, this isn't Telco Corner. This is this is actually a critically important issue. Section two thirty is <laughs> what prevents all of these platforms from being sued for the behavior of its people users. on their platform. Yeah, or right. or or also, Brandon, if they try and moderate it and try and make a good faith effort. In this case, it was really about basically child pornography, and they were making a good faith effort to take stuff off that was bad, that they wouldn't get sued for slander or whatever else it is. So these, this was, and but Section Two Thirty is is something that you know, and now you've got judges that may want to look at this, judges on the Supreme Court specifically, that may say like, look, I don't care what happens in the district. Here's what I think the law meant back in 1996. Right. Here's my inter just like you would have someone interpreting because, because what the con- right now you, you have a conservative court, which is strict interpretation, right? Number one. And number two, you also have a potentially politicized Supreme Court. And if you remember back to President Trump's days, he was trying to use Section 230 as a weapon against the platforms that he thought were going against him. He was in at so, the time encouraging the FCC, which is a regulatory agency, which didn't have the authority to at least provide some guidelines. <clears throat> um, so the court, the court could say, "Hey, you should look at the FCC and and look to them for guidelines." It could force more legislation, um, but again, the courts could could look at this and ignore everything else that's happened and said, "Here's our interpretation of what that law was about in '96 and all these these district court rulings that you have in Texas and wherever else." Or null and void. This is the way we see it. And yeah, what so would that in, mean? Hold on. So I was in Young Kapoor Services yesterday, and there was a. They always do a, a social action speaker, and they actually had Gideon Rose from the Council of Foreign Relations spoke yesterday, and I actually asked him the Section two hundred and thirty, the two Supreme Court cases question, and I also raised sort of TikTok being banned or the thought of it, and he rolled it all into one. I thought he had a fascinating answer of essentially. It's not the technology that's the problem here. It's the underlying people. And we've had these problems for for centuries. He went back to the Alien and Sedition Acts of trying to shut down newspapers because you didn't like what the newspaper said. And it sort of relates to sort of what we were just talking about is that shutting down, shutting down newspapers, shutting down TikTok or kicking it out or trying to, you know, blame the technology platforms for the content that gets pushed onto them is missing the problem. The problem is humans themselves. Okay, so Rich, but we'll that's, solve that's so, the can theoretical. I, can I give you the counterpoint? What about to, the practical? Yes, and let me give you the counterpoint too. Was this a rabbi that you said that was yeah. providing? No, no, no. This was this was advice? the council for <laughs> this was the council for foreign relations. Oh, thank one you. of the foremost thinkers on foreign relations. Okay, great. 
So let's look at the practicalities of of what actually yeah. has been arguing and what's being questioned about, which is someone searches on YouTube for an ISIS video and where they see an ISIS video and they report it to YouTube. YouTube doesn't do anything about it. And then all of a sudden, YouTube is serving them a bunch of other ISIS videos. So what responsibility at some point does the platform have to act upon being alerted to stuff that we all should agree is not appropriate on that platform? Is it a day? Is it a week? There is no guideline right now. There's no and, guidelines. Okay. And, and what does it mean if Section 230 protections go away? In that that's case, that's basically Armageddon for these stocks. Well, right? I, I mean, in that case, it, it could it could mean that like YouTube, if you don't take it down within a certain number of days, then you're subject to being sued. Where before you might have been protected because you were making your good faith effort to cleaning up your platform. It's hard for a lot of people. I mean, look, it's not black these and white. Platforms right? can literally collapse on that. I mean, lawsuits can be very hurtful, obviously, <laughs> to any to anything right so you know yeah this is something i think that's really under the radar that you bring up walt that is a material risk to a lot of stocks in our coverage universe and you just have to look at how the supreme court look this gets back to how our government works right when i when i've done my research on this in the past week and i've talked to both sides on this it's literally getting to like where does the power um, where does the power exist, <laughs> whether it's in the courts, whether it's with legislators? Because I'm like, look, if the courts do X, then basically just create a new law and redefine it. But so, but that's ultimately, you know, a courts can decide like, we, this is how we think this should be interpreted. They can, again, ignore, there's no precedence because something's happened in a district court. They can look at whatever the hell they want in coming up what their decision is on. And by the fact, the fact that they're even addressing the question in the first place shouldn't necessarily mean that they're going to rule one way or another. But look, that is a step that has been taken that has not been taken, I don't think, before on this issue. I could be wrong. What's next, Rich? We got football. So sports TV ratings, Nielsen's number of 11.7 for a million viewers for Dolphins, Bengals, still crushing it in their own words. In the under 50 demos, median age 46 versus 53 for games on linear TV networks. And we're going to sort of criticize ourselves because we talked about this same idea last week that Amazon was aging the NFL down. And we've gotten some data from some of our friends uh, in the linear TV world who point out that the actual um, reason the median age has moved down so much is not because there's more young people watching football on Amazon. It's that old people don't know how to use prime video. And so the number of people over 65 watching prime video versus or watching the NFL on prime versus watching it on Fox last year is down over 50%. So, so the 30% much- difference in audience size between last year on Fox and this year on Amazon is just old people. It's not actually a watching, little bit of super young watching. people too. There's some young, young people missing okay. too, but there's an overwhelming majority of drop off in people over 65 who clearly are not Let's be let's simplify this. Probably less technically, technol technologically Rich, sophisticated. That's an outrage. Look, I mean, let's just be honest. Come on. Well, you know, if we're going to be honest again, I just want to reemphasize that I apologize to our listeners. <laughs> it is it was not smart of us not to look at this data and be like, "There's something fishy about this." Although I think I might have said I was fishy. Anyway, we didn't call it out to say that 
maybe this is right. just a mix issue. But, that was that right. was a that's, mix. That that's, was a bad. That's but, why the but what's crazy down. is every reporter is reporting that the median age on Amazon right. is down dramatically. We're seeing we need to rise report. above reporters as we've already addressed I, in our diatribes over Twitter. I would still I think that this is positive, though, because you don't the people who are going to be football fans 10 years from now when you know these platforms may take over the rights on a in a broader way are there. They're still there. Yeah. Sure. It's just whether it's whether it's on Fox or whether it's on Amazon, they're still there. So it still, I think, gives a lot of credence to the ability for sports rights to transition to these platforms. I mean, look, the future is inevitable. You've had these same issues come up print to radio, radio to TV, and like everything's always going to like fail because of the next technology. People, humans are, I can't believe I'm saying this. But humans are smarter than we think they are <laughs> and that they will figure this out. Yeah, I if, can't believe you're saying that either, because I, I think you your you know, know prejudgment know. is everyone's stupid. <laughs> Not pre- knowing you for learn. 20 years, <laughs> but they certainly couldn't figure out how to watch Apple TV plus and watch Judge hit a home run that didn't happen. Uh, OK, next. Sorry, that next. was unnecessary. Yeah. Go ahead, Walter, I guess. Oh, I don't know. From The Verge with their new logo. Tim Cook is the latest CEO to question the metaverse. And this is, I guess, a quote for him. Could the average person define the metaverse? Tim Cook doesn't think so. I don't know if we have exact quotes, Uh, but I guess he was. No, no kidding. The average person can't define the metaverse for a couple of reasons. One is it's complicated. It's Mm -hmm. a far out future futuristic idea that you know, takes a little bit of imagination. Um, And it's also been a word that's been bastardized and used in so many different ways over the last year that I think it leads to consumer confusion. Two things. First, I just have this image of Brian Gumbel. I think it was on the Today Show, you know, talking about what is this internet thing? Like, you know, this is it's it just feels similar to that. Not just I'm not arguing yeah. that the metaverse is going to be the next no. Internet, but just because some just because the uh, the average American doesn't understand it today doesn't mean it's not something. That's of meaningful. course, it's going to be there's going to be a I mean, we say this like every week. So there's going to be a continuum and the Internet is going to evolve as it has continued to. Right. And there's going to be. 3D interactive experiences that make sense at times. And there's going to, going to be digital ownership that makes sense at times. And there's going to be new ways to express your identity in the digital world that you can't in the physical world where you're, you cannot recreate your identity very easily. And this is why people don't understand it because they hear explanations like that, that you just gave. Or Matt and, Ball. and their eyes roll back when you say that. Yeah. <laughs> right. oh. 3D interact where Matt Ball, like the three, the metaverse, <laughs> like they, they hear those explanations and it's 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 yeah, almost I, like telecom t- corner. People just turn off. Like, oh, it's like a sleeping pill. All right, what's next? <laughs> Maybe I should well, just listen to myself before I go to bed. I won't need <laughs> ambient anymore. <laughs> uh, oh boy. Oh boy, that's gonna be a special. We're gonna we're gonna use that somehow later on. But <laughs> we've got TechCrunch, Instagram to increase ad load as Meta fights revenue decline. So you're gonna start seeing ads in new places. So like they're putting ads on the explore page now. 
you're just going to see more and more, um, you know, within uh, more within uh, reels. Like there's just going to be more places where ads. I think what what upset me the most about this was not the explore page, Brandon. It was that if you watch a reel multiple times, like so you watch a reel once, but if you try to watch it again, you may get an ad between the rewatching <laughs> of the same reel. And I was just thinking like how annoying that's going to be to sort of have to have that interruption if you try to like see what it actually was about. And then you get an ad like it just God, it ties to the last Rich, slide. We, though, we like, talk a lot about uh, about, you know, in our analysis of everything about virtuous circles and death spirals. And yes, usually virtuous circles like. occur when you continue to give the consumer more and and, and make them want to spend more time on your platform or with your content. In this case, because you're desperate for revenue, you are jamming more ads and jamming more ads will turn off more people, which will make you more desperate for revenue. It's the exact same concept as pulling content off of linear television and the effects that that's going to have. Is that what you call a flywheel, Brandon? No, <laughs> you're trying to get me going. Uh, that was good. That, He's that trying was to get. Good. No, I think that's really called good. the toilet bowl. That's the called the swirly. <laughs> the swirly. <laughs> but uh, the the other part, I mean, obviously, the in terms of sort of the challenges facing Meta, the metaverse that we talked about first, clearly not defined, very long dated. I don't think a whole lot of people really even understand what it's ultimately going to be. But they're investing ten billion dollars. The core businesses of Instagram and Facebook are facing real pressure, um, competitively losing ad dollars versus where they were a year ago. And they had ByteDance. Vanessa Pappas, who is COO of, uh, of TikTok, was on, I guess it's on with Kara Swisher, Kara's new podcast. And Kara asked her about sort of the recent reports about TikTok not being removed from the U.S. And this is what Vanessa had to say. So let's listen. The reporting was that it wasn't going to divest. Is that what you know about that? ByteDance will remain the owner of. Uh, there was all that. That's correct. But that's the way it's working right now. Yes. Thing besides what's going on with Cepheus, is there anything else the U.S. government should do about it? Obviously, Donald Trump citing national security concerns because of China tried to broker this Oracle deal and Walmart and TikTok. He did make the deal, and then he didn't like it. Um, was that an opportunity? And do you imagine that happening again with the Biden administration? An opportunity for what, sir? To do another spinoff and make it a U.S. company. Do you ever foresee that right now? No. I mean, again, like, you know, we're proud of the platform and everything we've been able to. No. What was even the point of that line of questioning? It did. I think there's just I think, look, I think sort of as part of the CFIUS process, Everyone's trying to figure out what does it actually mean. And I remember just well, let's why just would you fr- ask an executive well, oh, oh. at TikTok? Okay, so, so, so hold on, Brad. It, it's remember, just a Cara, bad Cara, line of questioning. I don't know if you watched the whole interview, but Kara only has won't use TikTok on her phone. She has a burner phone that she uses TikTok on because she's so worried about the security of TikTok. So I just wanted to frame it with that. Okay. Okay, silence. <laughs> so I think that no, but I think that informs the line of questioning in terms of like there is clearly, I think there's clearly people that would like it to be you know um, a, a spun off as a U.S. company, and I think TikTok was pretty clear that's not happening. I mean, which just again, go ahead. Look, I think the. 
bigger issue here for TikTok in concern. I could be wrong. Everyone's got a different view towards things, just like Brandon and I have different views on baseball. <laughs> is <sighs> to say that the issue with TikTok is privacy is so, in my view, I think a bit silly given Facebook and like how everyone lives their lives and how you say a word out loud and it all of a sudden appears in everywhere. I don't care what, like, this is not a joke anymore. That literally happens. And the issue with TikTok is the influence that they could have. So if I'm looking at TikTok on my burner phone, I'm still going to get influenced. (laughs) So if your issue is privacy, then can we look at all the other apps that are on your non-burner phone and how you're certain that your privacy is being protected by all these companies? You're being cookied by so many companies and there's so many things following you and tracking you and pixels that are dropped into web pages. Like this whole argument is bizarre that it's somehow specific to a Chinese owned app relative to everything else that's out there. I mean, unless they're going to figure a way to shut off all our phones. But again, isn't the bigger concern here to restate the potential influence that they can have, which was what was suspected, but never proven in terms of Facebook's impact on the 2016 election. Sure. And well, look, this all really gets back to, there is a group of people, including most notably Meta, that would love TikTok to be banned or to be removed. I mean, there was some financials released this week that the Wall Street Journal reported on. TikTok or ByteDance is the parent company of TikTok, spent almost $15 billion in R&D and over $19 billion in sales and marketing. Now, that's not obviously all TikTok. That's only 50% more than Mark spending on the metaverse every year. I mean, those are just some pretty tremendous numbers. I mean, that sales and marketing number, I know that supports Doyan and other things within the ByteDance portfolio. But I think the takeaway is the marketing spend, even at TikTok, is still enormous. And they, they are growing at an incredibly rapid rate which is a real problem for Meta, which is, of course, why companies like Meta and Snap would love to see TikTok banned. It just doesn't seem like it's happening. Yeah. It's true. Brandon, could you read the slide? Mr. Beast claims huge YouTube shorts change will force TikTok's biggest stars to jump ship. Well, Mr. Beast is Mr. YouTube. Right. I think he makes more money on YouTube than anyone in the world. So to a certain extent, he's supporting his platform. But I think the creator split is what? 45% to the creators for YouTube shorts. YouTube is still an enormous platform with tons of engagement globally. If shorts does take off and if creators are properly incentivized for it to take off rich is that a threat to tiktok well look the only platform in the world that pays a percentage of ad revenue that runs on the platform is youtube so there is that clear distinction that's been the case even before there was youtube shorts even before there was tiktok it's been the only platform that pays like that no creator has been getting as wealthy on tiktok as creators have gotten on youtube the one, and I, and I would say TikTok and I think other platforms have to figure out, including Reels, better ways to tie monetization or creator income to their overall monetization for sure. But the one caveat to all of this that I sort of call BS on is becoming popular on TikTok 
is very different than becoming popular on other platforms. And I don't, I'm not even sure any one, two, three, four, even 20 or 30 creators are that important to TikTok ultimately. Cause I feel like there's new creators being sort of algorithmically driven every single day. So I just don't know, even if you lost a few big creators to another platform, whether it would matter. How important are the creation tools on TikTok versus the creation tools for YouTube shorts? And how much does that drive creators um, I don't know if it's the creation where, tools. They're, where they're going to create content for? It, it's a great question. I'm not sure how much is the creation tools themselves or just sort of the endemic way that brands work with the platforms, meaning like sounds and hashtag challenges, sort of like the the, the the way people use yeah, but TikTok you're talking feels about different than other Rich, platforms. You're, you're talking about brands. I'm talking about from the creator perspective. But even the way creators lean in, I mean, the way Charlie D'Amelio, like, I mean, it was sort of the way. Well, there's definitely a very different and, vibe on TikTok. That's what I mean. There, that's what I'm getting is. at. Yeah. It's Which not is, just that, the that's tools probably themselves. why, right. That's probably why you're having trouble explaining it because it's something that's ineffable. It's a feeling that oh, you get I mean, when yes. you're on TikTok that's a little bit different. And there's the type of content you see and the way you see it and the way it's presented to you is so different from anything on YouTube that what it takes to be successful on TikTok, even in the wake of the creator incentivization on YouTube shorts, it's going to be different and it's not going to have much of an impact. Is that what you're trying to say? A hundred percent. But Next. we'll see. Maybe we want to get Mr. Beast on Light Shed Live. We're trying. We want to get him on Light Shed Live. And I'd love to ask him that. I'd love to better understand why he feels that way. That's what I'd love to explore. We'll see. We're working on it. <laughs> But let's talk another topic of TikTok that's really interesting. We've got ByteDance is looking for an A&R manager for the U.S. So that is somebody who would essentially sign musical talent, basically compete with labels, it sounds like. Like we were wor- people were worried about TikTok becoming a U.S. music service, sort of like Spotify. Maybe they have it wrong. Maybe they want to be an actual m- music label, like a music company. Maybe they want both, Rich. I mean, it's interesting because... I we had breakfast with an executive at um, Warner Music. When was that? Maybe six, seven weeks ago. And I asked where A and R occurs today, just broadly, general question, and how important TikTok was to that. And she said it's all on TikTok. Yeah, look, I, I think that that's fair, and I think a lot of so, it also happens. So that's I mean, fair, but but it's, but that's not just what a, what a label doesn't just do that. There's a lot more well, that a label course, does. Market, we're talking about A and R though. Sure. So I get why they could be a label. There's no doubt in my mind that if you're trying to leverage and you have all of the underlying data, can TikTok spot a blowing up artist before any label can? Given that they're the platform, a hundred percent. But let's take that to the next level. Being the music service like a Spotify. You can't be a music service with just your own music. You need everybody's music. Abs- and so if you're going to be, if you're going to be in the business of competing with the labels, because Spotify tried this, they tried to start it a little bit. Trying, who was the guy that they they hired? Um, forget the the person that they hired for a little bit, and then they blew him out like a year later after the IPO um, or the, whatever the listing. But I, I think it's very hard to live in both worlds. I just think it's very hard. And TikTok's got to pick: either they're going to be a label that's going to compete. 
or they're going to be a, a streaming service. I think it's going to be very, very hard to do both. So we'll see. Unless That's they surprise me most. That much leverage, just being TikTok, gives them that much leverage on the labels that the labels can't exist without TikTok. And to, if TikTok sort of uses their power to, you know, reduce <laughs> certain labels exposure in the algorithm <laughs> then the labels have no choice but to you know acquiesce to tiktok's demands and just play ball got a nielsen chart next which uh, of course nielsen is always four to five weeks behind so this is actually last week of august through i guess labor day weekend or whatever there it that, is um, you just you just you dump on nielsen when it doesn't i work have for to you. i you, always you have to dump pat on, on their back yep. when it's good for you okay what do we got with yeah. game of thrones rich the, the, well, your, just, just, your botch from a couple of weeks ago well you will look we, we had sort of talked about Not house wait, of dragon you. Brandon and I had talked about House of Dragon that WBD maybe didn't release the data because the third episode wasn't going to be third episodes ratings weren't as good as the first two episodes. And on that Sunday, because right, it was a holiday. It was a holiday. The reality is the numbers have actually were really good for the first for the whole third week were really good. And it seems from everyone we've talked to and some of the data that's been released, the ratings have actually surprisingly built out of the early episodes. And so I think the the numbers on House of Dragon are are surprisingly strong. Um, I know, you, you, Walt, you want, you're going to chime in. I can tell you. Well, I, it's say. just, why do you keep saying surprisingly? Surprisingly to you, maybe. I've said this from the beginning. Like, this is a water cooler in the, my Philly accent type of show. This is community. People are watching this thing. And like even people that were might have been complaining, you know, episode one or two, I, I, I thought the first one was a little. There were a bunch of people complaining. The first one was a little violent last night or this week's was a little dark. Bottom line is everyone's watching. That's only going to build. And my, the second point here, which I think we've talked about before, but just to reemphasize it is look at the Game of Thrones. Like, uh, obviously, just like in Disney, people are when, going back and bombing them. When WandaVision came out, you were, people were going back and watching other Marvel. It's a good cycle, but more importantly, this is a series. This last episode was phenomenal. Yeah, it was a little dark, you can but the last episode was phenomenal. It's going to continue to build from here, Rich. And now people are clamoring for other Game of Thrones. We need to start so um Mr. Zaslav if you're watching we could we franchise like, franchise we like some additional Spin-offs. broadening of the franchise you have They're, your support they here. definitely will be doing that come when on. you're looking for extras on the set i'm your man remember rich what Ooh. i'm the one with the long hair well you too brandon you can join <laughs> and the rich but yeah it's a great and by the way if you're not if our for our watchers i i, I don't always make media recommendations when i do i mean i think i was pretty early with ted lasso I, and you've been one. pretty good with what not or what's been wrong. By the way, with things it's like not Andor it's not ex- it's not exactly like you know you're recommending a dark horse show here. I agree <laughs> it's with like you. the most popular show on TV. I agree with you, but I'm just saying that we have our listeners are very powerful people that have very limited time, and I would say squeeze this into your your viewership if you can. And the other thing I would say, Rich, before you go to the next slide, and I'll say it again, that unlike baseball. NFL is the best content in the world right now. So your weekend viewership is now getting shifted. Baseball because Sunday night. There's Sunday night football, Monday night, and maybe there's some baseball viewers that are going to watch the playoffs. So that might shift viewers as well. 
there might be some viewers who watch the playoffs. You do realize. <laughs> God, no, it's Jesus. insane. Can we because move on? I, no, I want no, to address I'm it. Fast forward. I, no, the, I, time, the, the time is now to address this point. Walt, yes. if you were to look at the World Series mm-hmm. and the NBA Finals. Yes. What do you think? What do you think the difference how is between NBA Finals viewership and World Series viewership? I would say World Series is probably fifty percent to double, higher. Okay. If first of all, that's not the case. Okay. But if, if you believe that about the World Series versus yeah. the NBA Finals, and the NBA is, you know, considered the number two sport, why would you say nobody watches? baseball or care i say nobody bought i I said i don't understand why people watch it oh okay i mean the ratings are what they are there are a few people that i guess continue to watch baseball but there are times i do flip the channels what's crazy to me is like you go to these stadiums and they're like 30 percent full so i guess everyone might be watching at home (laughs) the nbc overtime new disney names carolyn everson to its board and morse a move supported by activist third point disney and third point also agree to a standstill provision blah 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 and then we also have sarah fisher this week uh, in a statement disney said it reached a handshake agreement with dish sling as a result we're pleased to restore our portfolio of these networks while they work to finalize an agreement um so Disney gets their deal done with Dish, so the 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 blackout was all of forty eight hours. It didn't even impact <laughs> pro football; it only impacted college football. I guess not a surprise at all. I mean, the thought of Dish being dark with you know football that affected probably eight to nine million of their subscribers. Well, with uh, Charlie, you never know. But football, as you know, we agree on Walt, Walt, and myself, is a totally different story. It's the most important programming that exists in the bundle. The question is, is you keep pushing price up on the bundle. You keep making it more expensive. You're basically pricing people out. You're causing more cord cutting. Look, I'm very hopeful. Carolyn Everson, some fresh blood onto the Disney board. I don't really understand the long-term thesis on ESPN with cord cutting. Now, more people leaving the bundle than they can raise rates even on companies like Dish. It, it seems like this is the perfect time to exit this business. Hopefully with some new board, maybe there'll be some movement there. We'll see. Obviously, Chapik has been out pretty public recently talking about why he wants to keep ESPN. I get the free cash flow side of it. It's a free cash flow monster, but there's a lot of things that generate a lot of free cash flow. You can Businesses can crumble pretty fast once the subscriber base or revenue start to decline. That's what really worries me is declining revenue with growing cost base. That's really my fear. So we'll see, but I'm excited for Carolyn to be there. Brandon, why don't you go to the next uh, slide? Okay, this is from Mike Kalia. News from Sherman 4949 and Lillian. NBCU execs talked about forming a bundle with HBO Max and Paramount+. Plus. Peacock has had early talks with smaller streamers, including AMC and Stars. Paramount has no interest in bundling with Peacock in the U.S. So NBCU is realizing nobody wants to watch Peacock and the paid churn is probably high. So what's the solution to that? Well, they can't afford to bring in more programming on their own. So they'll create it synthetically through bundling. The question is, do other streamers want to bundle? 
Personally, I think, and I've been saying this for a long time, bundling is inevitable. We're basically going to create the new, new bundle, which is going back to the previous bundle. The problem is just the personalities, right? That's the issue. How do you share economics? How do you know who's more important to that bundle? How do you split the, when you say reduce churn, how do you split the number? I mean, it's just, it, these are hard things that- yeah, These are look, very I, difficult I don't business development deals is what you're saying. Exactly. Which is why, you know, again, go back to what does people think eventually WBD and uh, NBC Universal merge, right? Because that makes this very simple because you have one company um, to put together. We'll see whether it happens. I don't think anything's imminent, but clearly Peacock has realized what you said. They they need more scale. That's the bottom line. Right. Scale. So M&A is inevitable in this industry. That's the bottom line. Well, or, or you shut it down. Right. Or you just go back to being an arms dealer. I mean, I right. think that's not that, that is the alternative is you can't get M&A done and you go, why am I losing two, three billion dollars a year on a service that isn't generating enough watch time? And you just go back to being an arms dealer. No, no, no foul there. I mean, it's a great business. Look at Sony. Like you can make a lot of money being an arms dealer. This is from Frank Pelota. Just in. Netflix announces that Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery, will be the, quote, first ever Netflix film to debut across all three major U.S. theatrical chains, AMC, Regal, and Cinemark. It will play from November 23rd to 29th before debuting on Netflix December 23rd. So Netflix is now a legacy media company. I mean, it is pretty funny that, uh, you know, Netflix agreed to sort of a it's weird, right? They didn't want to agree to a window uh, like they didn't want that's a, a, wi- day that's theatrical a window. by the way, that's a window. That's well, they didn't window. want the movie to be available for 30 to 45 days. Now it's available for only seven days and then goes dormant. And that's OK. Like it's, it's sort of a weird. I guess like I guess they create sort of an event for theatrical and then you sort of anyone who didn't see it, it builds it up so that you can then watch it. I mean, it it's very slippery slope, right? It's very confusing. No, it's called twisting yourself into a pretzel to try and explain <laughs> exactly what Netflix the is doing. It's a window. Uh, By any other name. It'll be if interesting. If it walks to like see a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's a, a window. Duck. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, this is just a way to make more money, correct? I mean, this is a very expensive movie franchise they bought. They're spending a couple hundred million dollars on each of these films. They clearly want other ways to make money beyond just putting it on Netflix. This is one of my thematics. Well, your media companies are going to look for more and more ways to 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 monetize their content. And that's going to open it up beyond these monthly subscriptions. And we will get to that in the future. I mean, we've we've talked about read abandoning religion many times and this is just another example of read read and ted really abandoning religion because growth is on the line of course they're not in the power position anymore yep seen this telecom corner seen that seen that act before matthew keys charter will raise the broadcast tv field and spectrum tv customers to 25 dollars a month starting in november just to be clear this fee didn't even exist before 2010 it was a dollar in 2010 five dollars in 2014 and even in 2020 this thing was 1645 i mean it is sort of incredible that this thing has been growing at this rate for this long i mean 25 dollars 
for the free television, the free broadcast TV, Brandon, this is why the bundle's broken. I mean, YouTube TV doesn't charge a broadcast TV surcharge. They just eat the retrans. Rich, remember last on last week's podcast, we talked about the word inertia? Yes. I think what Spectrum is realizing here is that those who are remaining in the bundle now will pay any price. so much inertia that elasticity is out the window. I, I mean... I'm going to up that, Brandon. I'm going to, this is not footnoting. This is building upon what you said. As a reaction to Rich saying, this is the bundle broken. It's the exact opposite. It's It's literally the exact opposite. Totally agree with you. It's you're using stagnant customers, which we've talked about in wireless land. I wrote a whole note on this with Verizon, adding administrative fees that add billions of revenue because there's no other growth, because you have people stuck in a low churn bundle. But more importantly, you literally ignored the other square in that slide, which I would like you to bring up right now, is while they're increasing, while Chata is increasing their fees for these people stuck in that world, which is probably still 30% of video customers are never going to churn off of those crazy boxes, is what it is. At the same time, you're offering wireless for free. Yes, for free. So when you look at the bundle, the whole concept- Can you explain that to us? Yes, for $50. For $50 before, three days ago, Chata would give you internet and Wi-Fi. And now okay. you're going to get a free mobile line. Whereas before they were charging you whatever they were charging you for mobile rates, 25, 30, 40 bucks, right? Why? <clears throat> because the way the bundle works is you have your existing loyal customers that you continue to dial up and make them pay more. And then from a competition standpoint, the thing that's less value added, you offer at a discount. What is Verizon doing? The exact flip-flop where they're giving you cheap broadband, which is which I think we talked about this literally on last week's podcast, why the Fios numbers are going to be good because they're offering a Fios customer 25 bucks a month or something like that for internet as long as you become a Verizon wireless customer. What are they doing with the Verizon wireless customer? Exactly what Charter's doing with their other customers, which is dialing them up on price. And while they're not getting those subs, they're increasing revenue. So this is this is, this is is the bundle. So now the only question is, you're bundling and yet you're not network owners. And ultimately, does that need to be the next step, which is something we've seen around the world? MA coming. We'll say. I mean, that's essentially what you're saying, right? I mean, it's inevitable. I'm just following logic. MA and, and on I, the content side, MA on the distribution side. Sounds like the bankers are going to be busy. REA must be very happy. <laughs> okay, so let me cue up the last slide. Uh, let's play the video clip first because we got Tom Brady talking about the NFL. All right. Do you think, Tom, in all your years, there's what even more parity now? There's a lot of teams that are two and two. I think there's a lot of bad football from what I watch. You know, <laughs> I watch a lot. All right. Well, you're bored with baseball. Well, you have to say football this season, the primetime games, some of them have been a little bit tough to watch. Maybe it's because Russell Wilson (laughs) keeps getting the primetime spot. spot. (laughs) I mean, look, uh, I'm sorry to our dish listeners. I know there's many of you, but honestly, Denver in this many (laughs) primetime games is awful. Is absolutely awful, but I'll watch anyway. 
but yes, the games have not been great. Um, but ratings have been good. Surprisingly, the yeah, the ratings have been great. At the Eagles at four and zero, oh, I think this is the best it's NFL still, season ever, dude. It's it's still amazing content. It's just you know the prime time the, the, yeah. the prime time games have been a, a little suspect so far this year because of, you know. Oh, my Giants have been in one of them too, contributing. And, they, and that wasn't a great game. Well, no. Also, Daniel Tom Brady, is, rough Tom Brady is a <laughs> barometric chamber perfectionist that wants perfect football. The rest of us, like, we like exciting games that go down to the wire, comebacks. That might not be great football when you know teams collapse and give up massive leads, but it's entertaining to me. Fair enough. Brandon, and that does it for our sports Sylvester podcast Stallone. this week. Go Let's in, go, go enjoy Mets. Sylvester Stallone. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. That's I'm episode 127. Tomorrow. I will watch the Mets tomorrow. Have a great weekend, everyone. Come on.